Welcome to the Let's Get Intimate podcast with me, Sam. I'm a life coach on a mission to help you create the life of your dreams by owning your desires, stepping into your power, and helping you remember who you are. Through interviews, personal stories, and honest conversations, join me as I dive deep into all things relationships, sex, intimacy, dating, spirituality, self-worth, and more. Let's do it. All right. Welcome, everyone, to this new episode of the Let's Let's Get Intimate podcast. I am here with a very, very special friend of mine named David Young, and I want to introduce him to you all. So David Young is a certified meditation teacher, coach, and group facilitator. David supports communities to heal from collective trauma, reestablish healthy communication, and love fearlessly. With a background in East Asian philosophy, international diplomacy, and community development, David's dream is to create a culture of wholeheartedness for future generations. So David, that's like the professional you know, bio of you that you'd write maybe on a LinkedIn, but like, you know, I want you guys to know that who David is for me is like one of the most special people that I've ever met. Yeah. And I don't have enough time on this episode to tell you why that is, but you'll feel it when he starts talking. So, um, you know, I've invited David to be on this episode to speak about his journey around trauma and becoming, you know, almost like an expert in the field of trauma and, and, and working with people around trauma. So, um, David, um, you know, what, is there anything you want to say to our audience just to be here fully and to, you know, have yourself be known? Yeah. Hey, Sam, it's, uh, it's just nice to be here and it's nice to, to hear your voice. And I notice I'm smiling as I, as I see you and I'm having a lot of memories of laughing together and it's just, it's, it's like a joy to be here and to be able to, um, kind of be committed to the different things we're committed to in the world. Mm. And yeah, I'm so glad that you invited me to come out. It's really nice to be here. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So David, like, I'm wondering if we could start with you sharing a bit about maybe just your journey in the, in the coaching industry or, or transformation industry, you know, how have you kind of gotten to this point in your, in, in your career and your personal life where you feel really called to, to work with people around trauma? Yeah, I mean, I mean, to be honest, it's probably around the dissolution of my marriage, you know, so I had a marriage for about 10 years and was a like card carrying uh, coach on the stage trying to challenge channel my inner Tony Robbins and make transformation no matter what the cost, no matter what the price, I will change your life right now and I'll change mine. And, um, you know, and found that it could work in so many different places, but it wasn't working there. Mm. And it was kind of like just wondering what is going on. And um, when that relationship, when I realized that that relationship was ending or transitioning, um, it was devastating for me because I grew up in a, in an environment where um, divorce was taboo. And so a lot of my worldview, a lot of my identity was centered around um, and a lot of my value was centered around whether or not I um, could 
keep that relationship. And so that's kind of like I was uh, using a bunch of different coaching moves or coaching techniques or self-help tools or personal development techniques to make myself better so that my life could be better and the things that weren't working, I could make them more working. Mm. And um, what I had never really taken the time, you know, to do a deep dive in is really that um, if there is childhood trauma, if there is trauma in my body, which I'm realizing as I do this work, that all of us are kind of not just walking up, walking around with developmental trauma, but that we're born into the aftermath of a traumatized world. Like mm. this isn't real life. This is life when it's hurt. Mm. And, um, and then realizing, oh, these are the patterns that ended up having my first marriage not work or even kind of getting into it when I realized maybe it wasn't necessarily the best idea. And, you know, I think there's always um, grace throughout everything. You know, I have three beautiful children. We've actually, um, my former wife and I have cultivated a relationship that I'm very proud of and very beautiful and is probably more authentic than it was during our <laughs> married time together. Mm. And, um, but it was really, you know, and not being able to make things work over a sustained period of time that brought me into the world of trauma. So it was really my own journey of trying to figure out how can I make this work um and what's really not working mm. and when there is trauma in your life it's like when you try to bring bring in a new coaching tool or self-help tool it's like building a house on a fault line mm. you know it doesn't matter how great it is you put the house on that fault line it's still going to rupture again mm. and again mm. and um and it's not a one and done thing it's not like okay there's trauma david so tell me how to fix it so i can go get back to building my amazing house like just get rid of the fault line right Mm. And I think what I'm, it's almost as if I thought, okay, I'll do a little bit of shadow work or a little bit of trauma work. And once I'm all healed up, I'll live my life, um, you know, as if that was in the way of me living my life. And I think now I'm more in a place of this is my life. You know, this, the trauma that I grew up into and also that I've inherited in my ancestry that's not in the way of my life. That is my life. That is my way. That's my path and my walk. And so there's a journey of going deeper and deeper into shadow and to pain. Mm. And there's still the, I still love all the personal growth and development tools. There's like a journey upward of an, of improvement and development, but there's also a journey deeper and inward into more shadow and pain and things that are more absent. Mm. And I think that because our society, at least maybe contemporary Western society is kind of chronically addicted to being positive and looking at what's better and finding solutions that it's just hard to be with pain mm. and hard to be with our own suffering and very hard to grieve. Mm. And that creates a lot of stress in our system as individuals, but also as a society. So, um, yeah, so I had stopped coaching, you know, for a couple of years, I put my whole business on hiatus and was, doing a lot of meditation, a lot of therapy, a lot of group work, a lot of journeying, a lot of spiritual journeying. And um, a couple of years later, some of my older clients called back and said, hey, are you still, are you going to coach again? And I said, if I were to do anything with you, it would not look anything like what I've done in the past. Mm. And they're like, I don't care. Mm. Just show me what you got. And mm. so that's what kind of began my journey into incorporating healing and incorporating like a trauma-informed awareness to the way that we approach 
areas of our lives that aren't working mm. and has led me into doing a lot of collective trauma work and being a student of Thomas Hubel, um, becoming a trauma-informed mindfulness meditation teacher, mm. um, and particularly looking at this kind of work in professional settings and dealing with collective trauma. Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah, I guess I love to like learn and taste new things and bring them into my own life and then to share them to share what my where journey is at. And that's kind of in my life mm. and has drastically changed the way that I walk and parent my kids, the way that I um, relate to myself, the way that I relate to spirituality, the way that I relate to community. Um, there's just much more space for, there's just a lot of wounding and a lot of hurt mm. and there's more space for it now, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Oh, guys. <laughs> David just set up the whole episode in that first share. There's 20 questions I have. Um, yeah, thanks, David. I want to, can I point to a few things and have that kind of unfold? Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, David and I have spent a long time, as you just heard, like in the coaching world, probably 10 plus years, each of us, right? We spent a lot of time traveling the world, you know, working with high level teams, creating organizations, speaking on stages, holding space for people in, um, you know, big, 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 profound ways. And we loved that. We, you know, we loved playing that game of, 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 of coaching and, and, and what coaching makes available for people. And what I'm hearing, David, is that, you know, whatever you learned or, or received from coaching wasn't making the difference for you in your marriage. Like no matter what tool or distinction or, or program, it wasn't making the difference. It wasn't actually having your marriage or relationship work in the way that you wanted it to. And there was something else there. There was something else at the source, right? And for you, I'm hearing you point to that as trauma, something you call trauma, right? And for you, it was this like, I, I need to set aside everything that I've learned and go figure out what is this? What is really running the show? What's actually having this relationship not work for me? And so I'm hearing you really, you know, go on this new path of, of deep diving into this world called trauma that's very different than coaching, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you could like speak to that, like what, what have you discovered, you know, from what you've learned and the, the, the teachers that you've worked with, like what is trauma? How might you define that in your, in your words? And how does that show up in the world in different levels? I know you spoke to personal trauma, there's collective trauma, um, and ancestral trauma. Could you speak to like, what is trauma for you? Yeah, definitely. And I think like the word is kind of getting looser and looser and you kind of hear it thrown around like, that's my trauma. Like, don't talk to me. That's traumatizing. <laughs> yeah. So I think it is good to like kind of give some definitions. And so mm. um, when I speak of trauma, I like to start with that there's a type one trauma and a type two trauma. So mm. those are like, we call it big T trauma and little T trauma. And uh, big T trauma is kind of what most people are familiar with. So that's like catastrophic life events happening, like mm. war, emergencies, physical blunt trauma. That's kind of what people as assume with that. And then little T trauma can be like emotional abuse, neglect, um, relational abuse. Um, and so just to differentiate between the two of them. However, the effects that they have on people long term are the same. 
And I think that's what's important to note. And that trauma is any is an overwhelming event that you experience. So any event that is overwhelming for you, meaning it becomes too much to fully feel what's happening. Mm. And trauma isn't just the event that happens to you. It's what happens inside of you in response to that event. You know, so if I was neglected as a child, the trauma isn't just that I was neglected as a child. It's what happened to what happened inside of me and the way that I processed that neglect. Mm. Um, and then what, and then the, how that manifests in my life now, because the way that I learned to process that, that neglect I'm still doing now today as an mm, adult. Mm. Um, so yeah, we call like an overwhelm to the nervous system. And then your body usually has four different types of trauma responses. So they call them like the four F's you have fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. So, um, and also that these trauma responses are natural. They're actually symptoms of a healthy nervous system. So if you have like a fight response, you tend to get more aggressive or assertive, or you push something. If you're a flight, you tend to run away and hide. If you freeze, you might be like a deer in the headlights. And fawn, which is more recently added to the definitions, is that you kind of start to appease the scary situation. So saying nice things or kind of people pleasing when mm. in reality, what's happening is that my body is overwhelmed with fear. Mm. It's like a terrifying situation. Mm. Something else that always happens when we're experiencing trauma is that there's such a strong emotional fear and also sometimes a strong physiological response in our body that we have to take our awareness out of our body. It's like when the house is on fire, you just need to get out of the house. So trauma is when there's an overwhelm, our body is the house and it feels like it's on fire. So we need to find some way to leave mm. our bodies mm. and leave that emotional experience. Mm. Um, and so let's say if there's like abuse or if I'm a child and just being like yelled at and my body gets so scared, I have to find some way to get away from that experience. And if I can't actually physically run away, then the best thing I can do is turn off my feeling, mm. you know, and it takes something to numb myself. Yes. It actually takes energy. It's like a refrigerator. Uh, you know, your refrigerator isn't doing nothing. Your refrigerator is keeping food cold and that takes electricity. It takes energy to keep something numb and, and then takes many different coping mechanisms to keep that numbness hidden from our awareness. Cause the whole point is that we don't really deal with the trauma in our lives. We deal with the symptoms of trauma yes. that are there to keep trauma invisible. Yes. So if I was neglected as a child, I'm never going to feel that pain. Usually that's not what surfaces. What surfaces instead is my overproductive thinking that's designed to help me not feel how painful that neglect is, you know, and then maybe I have other mechanisms put on top of that. So there's kind of like layers of pain and then numbness on top of them. Yes. And so, um, you know, when something is overwhelming, it doesn't necessarily become trauma in the day to day. Sometimes we just kind of hyper-regulate the nervous system. So when something scary happens, we jump into our heads, we get kind of hyperactive and we try to do something about it. You know, so that's one level of escalation, but we're not necessarily traumatized. We're just kind of hyper-focused and things have sped up and we can still be conscious. However, if the situation is even more scary, we escalate it even further. And that's like what trauma is because when we escalate even further, we turn the whole thing off. We turn that fear off. And that's why trauma is difficult to work with because it's the highest form of escalation in our nervous system, but it sounds like quiet. It has no more voice. 
Like the way that we've solved that situation isn't just to hyper-regulate and get very active. We solved it by turning it off inside of ourselves. So the part of us that could feel that is no longer, it's on mm. or it's off rather. Mm. And so um, it's a difficult thing to spot because it has no voice mm. um, to say that I'm in pain or this is very scary or this mm. hurts. Mm. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess, you know, in summary, trauma is a, what happens inside of us in response to an overwhelming event. Mm. Um, there are different types of overwhelming events like big T trauma, which is going to be usually it's like a blunt physical catastrophe or little T trauma, which can be more like things that happen in developmental years in our lives in childhood or as an adult or collective issues like um, racism or systemic oppression or things like that. Mm. Um and so I think the smarter question to ask is not who, where, who are the um, small percentage of the people who are traumatized and how can we support them, but more where do I fit on the spectrum of trauma in my own life? Yeah. And I think that's where we're kind of shifting as a society to realize that we're actually swimming in trauma and that most of the things that we think we are and the structures that we have are actually all built to keep trauma suppressed. So like there are things that we just don't talk about mm. that have no voice. And mm. then who I became is like hyperproductive or a little bit shy or a little bit this way. And then we think that that's normal, but that's, you know, like an identity that was formed mm. to stop pain, to stop the feeling of pain mm. Mm. at an individual level. And then as we make like different social structures and policies and laws that are designed as a country and as a nation to not look at certain things, to not feel certain things. Mm. Um, and all of that is kind of coming up now. And so all of those structures are shaking our policies and who we think we are and uh, what our relationships have been. Like as the trauma starts to no longer be numb, all the structures that were built on top of that shake and start to fall apart mm. or start to melt. Mm. yeah mm. thank you yeah yeah i'm wondering david if you'd be open to sharing an example in your own life of how you know trauma impacted you how that how that how that played out in your life who you became because of trauma and how maybe how you suppressed um numbed that experience and how that impacted your relationships or your life in general and what it looked like for you to, you know, meet that experience or, or deal with that experience. Um, yeah. and then how that, how that shifted your life from there. Yeah. I mean, um, I can say that growing up there is, um, you're a child when you're growing up. And I think for me, I, um, was very scared when uh, there was pain in my family or if I saw like my parents were having a difficult time or there was just stress around me, you know, or if my parents were arguing with one another. And that was scary for me and overwhelming for me as a child. It's like a sense of I don't have any place to feel safe in my family system. And so the first thing I, and when there's no other place to talk about that or tell anyone about that, that becomes trauma. So it kind of numbs itself and comes like, I can't feel that fear anymore. I can't feel that overwhelm. 
And then some compensation comes up to also help to mitigate that. So what I did is I became a caretaker of my family. So I become like a very, you'd call it like the skillful child. Yeah. Is like hyper skilled at able to like take care, caretake, mediate, uh, soothe the different stress in my family system. Well, what so, can you, you know. give can you give us an example of what that looked like for you? Oh yeah. It's like I walk into a room, I see that my mom's really stressed out. Maybe she was just yelling at someone at the phone or something like that. And I'll walk in and I'll I I don't already I don't know that I'm already terrified in that moment. And then, but I, what I do is walk out to my mom, be a good half Chinese little boy and look at her and say, what do you need right now? Mom, are you okay? Want me to do the dishes? You know, and then I'm already self-soothing her in the hopes that she will help me feel safe mm. because I'm, and I can't feel underneath all that, that I'm already terrified mm. actually. And then you just do that with everything, taking care of my mom. I'm the oldest of five. So taking care of the kids, um, or uh, the siblings rather. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so I kind of developed a whole skill set. And I think a lot of coaches and healers deal with this that a lot of times we're operating, or I can speak for myself that I was operating using that kind of consciousness as like a tool that saved me at that time. And it was useful to my parents. And I realized, hey, this is useful for other people too. And they'll even pay for it. Yeah. And so I got a lot of approval and a lot of praise for being good at helping other people and taking care of other people. Yeah. But the problem is that what's fueling that is I'm terrified. I'm so scared that actually the relationship that I'm having with my mom or with my, my parents as a child is not healthy for me. Actually, this is very scary and I need to talk to somebody about it, but I can't. Right. And so that pain is still in my body the entire time as I grow up, become a coach, become a healer and move into these things, get married. And what it shows up is like this high need to fix, need to fix things and an inability to be with, like in my first marriage, to inability to be with the relationship, how it really was. So when something is not working, I can't just be with the pain that it's not working. I'm almost, before I even touch it, I'm already into how can I solve it? How can I fix it? Or another way to not feel the pain that's there is to go into a fantasy of what it could be, like the possibility of what it could be which is great to be able to see possibility. But for me, it was a distraction from what's actually right here, right now. And how do I feel about it? It's like, there's no space for David's experience. David, how do you actually feel about this? And it's like, if I go there too long, I'm too, that's, I'm scared. I don't know what happens if I go into that place too long. How do I really feel? Let's just fix it. And I won't have to feel that way. Hmm. And that in a relationship, when you're constantly trying to fix things, like fix the relationship, manage it, manage other people. So they're trying to figure out how to meet their needs and meet your own needs, but doing it in this different way. That's very controlling, you know, in a very subtle way. And as you know, it's annoying to the people who are on the receiving end of that. They're like, you know, you're like this huge force controlling everything. Why can't you just relax and be yourself? You know, how do you actually feel? And it's like, I don't, you know, I, whatever you feel feels good to me. Like if everyone's, I start to feel like, I'm good if the system is good, but actually my own experience has no, doesn't matter. Mm. And, uh, and it becomes really hard to look at because again, the whole point is to not feel the pain. And so if something doesn't work, I assume that it's something in my fixing that's not working. So let's just read a new self-help book. Let's just go to a new coaching program. So, oh man, it didn't work to start saying, uh, when you do this, I feel this way. That tool didn't work. Well, again, since I can't feel that I'm coming from a place of deep pain and fear, 
let's just find a new tool. And I, oh, I guess I'm just going to express gratitude more. I just need more gratitude in the relationship. I've got to express more gratitude. I just went to this program. Gratitude's the key. Boom. And then do more gratitude. That, mm. that seems like it's going to work well. Mm. It works for a little while. And I don't notice that I can actually feel this pain now as an adult. It's not going to kill me or hurt me. It will inform me so that I can make better decisions about my life. But that pain is young. That's like a five or six-year-old who's still scared of feeling pain. Because in a five or six-year-old body, that fear and pain is overwhelming. Mm. And I couldn't, you know, when I touched that younger part in me as an adult, have the same response. I don't want to go there. Let's see how I can fix this. Let's see how I can go into fantasy about what it could be if I just am willing to work hard enough. Mm which actually sabotages the whole thing. And then when you get two people or more, then like it's a party, you're all doing the same thing, you know? Um, and some people there, you know, my particular trauma, I adapted by leaning too far into the relationships. You know, and that, that doesn't just mean intimate relationships. That can be my family system or a team. I'm like too far in, leaning too much in. So I actually can't feel myself, you know? How do I actually feel about this personally outside of the system relationship? Other people, they lean too far out. So it's like, I feel myself. I know what I think. I know what I feel, but I can't fully bring myself to a relationship. So I actually get, I'm afraid of committing. I'm kind of avoidant. I'm afraid that if I really allow myself to be in relationship and be intimate, I'll lose who I am. Um, mm. And uh yeah, and, it, and it's all just kind of a trauma response. And I think the thing to note from my experience is that if I were to go back in time and work with myself and like, well, in that moment when you came up to your mom and that you went to go soothe her because you were really scared, who did you go and talk to about that? And I would say I didn't talk to anybody. And the response would be, that's the trauma. Because the trauma isn't, is not what happened to us. It's what happened inside of us when we are isolated with our overwhelm. You know, it's kind of like if you, I don't know what's a, another traumatic experience, like if a dog chases you as a child or you get bit by a dog, mm. but if your parent scoops you up and then like you can kind of freak out in your parents' arms and shake a little bit, that situation won't become traumatic. And the reason is because you're not alone with that situation. So you have another nervous system there to help you digest that overwhelm yeah but when there's nobody else there your body can't digest the overwhelm so it has to find some other kind of way to compensate with it or just shut it down and bury it and then put different mechanisms on top of it and um yeah so i think that was a big pattern in my life becoming like a skillful child that looks like an adult to like a regressive family system but actually is probably more you know what a six-year-old imagines an adult would be like hmm and it has to keep saying yes to the relationship, keep saying yes, and not feel how I'm feeling, mm. really. Mm. You know, and the truth is, if I was really able to feel the pain and notice what was there, then I could have had a more appropriate response to what was going on in my life. Um, be able to set healthier boundaries to be able to say, hey, I feel scared, or I have an unmet need for safety. And this is something you could do about that. Also, what's the way that we can help to meet what your needs are, or if I'm on a team, Noticing, hey, I don't have a full body yes to this project that we're doing right now. I'm wondering if there's another way that we can make this work out and also have it work for the entire team. Um, mm. Yeah, and that's like a huge, been a huge theme for me. And it's not like 
you know, a one and done healing session and that's out of your life. Um, it's like, it's like a whole system in my body. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And then it's not just in your head, like a memory trauma isn't, it's, it's inside your body somatically, like the body remembers what happened to you. So even if you've cognitively changed your beliefs around it, your body still remembers. Yeah. 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 That's what I would say. Mm. Um, Thanks, David. Oh, so much beauty. Um, getting expressed here just thanks for your your honesty and your generosity and sharing your life with us um can i continue asking kind of diving yeah okay perfect um i'm curious david like while i was listening one one image that showed up to me was like superman like this mm-hmm. idea of like a superhero who's mm-hmm. like his his role or responsibility is to respond to any sort of emergency or any sort of chaos or damage happening on the planet you know superman will just fly up into into space and then fly to china and like go rescue china right and he's just running around the world responding to whatever's not working and you know superman at the end of the day maybe never has a choice to say no like he never gets to say actually, I don't want to rescue people. I don't want to save people or I don't want to wear this cape anymore. Like he, he doesn't have an opportunity to have his own needs or his own desires or his own wants because he's in this role of saving the world all the time. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hear that flavor in your, in your experience of growing up as the oldest son, you know, and as like a half Chinese, half black, handsome, you know, guy, like, you know, just what you, what you inherited culturally. And so you know, I'm curious, like for you, what was like, um, I don't, the breaking point is not the right word, but what was the point where you like had to like really start to, you know, to, to meet, to meet that, that pattern. And what did that look like for you to start like really sitting with pain and sitting Mm -hmm. with your no and sitting with your body who is like, I'm not going to be Superman anymore. What, and how did that impact your life? Like actually to start being with the trauma or being healing that part of you. What did that look like in your life? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I didn't come willingly. So you know, I think some people <laughs> are a bit more graceful and they feel called to do their own healing work. I think mine was more like put on that path from fire. Yeah. Um, and it was like a, saying that my, you know, choosing to end my marriage and could no longer escape the pain Uh, first like just the pain of that separation what that means for children being responsible for the trauma inflicting upon your children and then the standing that I had in my religious community that I grew up in stepping down from different nonprofit organizations um, kind of retreating away even from like the place where I grew up Mm. Um, having to live alone and you know miss miss everyone and Mm. um you know and 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 um not being able to be around my kids all the time and um just like yeah having like the kind of and also not coaching you know not running not running a business for a while and just dealing with all the big structures of my life falling apart and um and just like being in regret and pain and sorrow and anger and sadness 
and there's nothing I can do about it. Like it's, it's all, it's like, there's nowhere to go. Um, and you could try to like make it go away, like with different, like you could try to use substances or try to get busy doing something else. But I was too exhausted and too tired. Um, so I didn't do all that to my life willingly though. It kind mm. of like, it was more just noticing, oh, this, I'm going to end my marriage. And then the repercussions of that were devastating for me, you know, for both of us really. And, um, you know, I think it's one of the most healing processes and teaching moments for both of our lives. But I mean, it hurt like hell. I mean, just dealing with, I did this, you know, and it's like, who is Superman without people to save? Mm. You know, cause it's not like actually there's the Superman isn't even a person, <laughs> you know, it's a character. Mm. Um, and what's really there is like a shell of a, a shell of something that was like, Hey, who are you when there are no relationships or other people or other crises? I'm in pain. That's like, actually I'm like a little boy who's in pain. But even underneath that healing, there's just a little boy that's authentic, that's joyful, that loves to play, that's a little shysty and a little <laughs> mischievous and um, loves Bruce Lee and mm -hmm. loves to have a, a great time, but is kind of stuck there. Mm. You know? And um, yeah, so I think that was the breaking point of just realizing that I had uh, used up all of my like that compensation mechanism had run its course. It was no longer effective. It might've worked when I was a child to do the dishes and be careful and take care of my mom. It might've worked helping different communities in need. It might've helped work when like there are different things going on in my marriage. It might've worked in need, but eventually it stops working and it stops working consistently and it stops working hard. And then it kind of just blows up and implodes because you have nothing left. You don't have a backup coping mechanism that's gonna work. Um, and when you've built up a lot of your life around that, you know, coping mechanism that you thought was a personality because everybody likes it. Yeah. You know, everybody approves of it and, um, pushes you up onto the, says like, you know, go up onto the stage, be this person. And you, so you start to feel like, oh, that, this must be who I am. You know, like everyone's calling me Superman. I feel like Superman. There's the cape. And you never notice, oh, that's something that I invented to protect myself a long time ago. That's a, it's not a problem. It's just a very old solution. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, I'd say that that was really the, maybe more like the expiration date, you know, mm. of that pattern. And, and also to say like that pattern is not gone inside of me. I think, I think it's not about, uh, it's more like I notice it more now and I'm a bit more loving and compassionate to it. Like even as I speak with you or if I'm teaching or working, it isn't like a sense of like, I got that shit out of my system. I'm glad I'm not Superman anymore. It's like, no, I notice that sometimes there's still a tendency to do that yeah. and I'm here for it and I can love it. And I can take that and notice when I see that, oh, I'm wanting to fix something. There's probably something in me that's very scared right now. Let's go visit that place. Yeah. So instead of it being like a diving deep and like just getting really good at saving or helping or serving or healing yeah. and said, notice, oh, that's a distraction. And it's actually now it's a signal to go into pain for me. Um, and to kind of check myself. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, so beautifully insightful, David. I have a question about what you just last said. Mm -hmm. What I heard is that it actually takes a rigorous amount of awareness and willingness to notice the the default way of responding or to life, you know, or like our, I don't know if you would call it a trauma response and you would mm -hmm. call being a Superman was a trauma response, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So like noticing like, oh, I'm about to be Superman right now. I'm trying to fix something because I actually feel scared. Like it, it and, and then interrupting that and saying, hold on. I'm noticing this right now. What is this about? What am I scared of? What's actually going on in my body? You know, it takes something to do that. And I'm curious if you have like um, if you have like an example of what it looks like to really practice, um, you know, like not killing off killing off the superman inside of you that part of you but loving embracing that and then and then shifting into being in your body or regulating your nervous system or saying actually i'm a no i said yes but i'm a no mm -hmm. and having that actually um be really in alignment for you empowering for you versus something that you're i don't know out of alignment. Yeah, I mean it, it looks like stopping mid-sentence a lot when i'm talking to my <laughs> wife and like i'm sorry <laughs> I'm uh, doing it again. Yeah. Um, I actually don't know what I want right now. <laughs> or yeah. I realize I'm scared. And, and also I think having like a consistent contemplative practice. So for me, meditation is a big thing. So right. there's a, a daily practice of noticing and yeah. also loving and nurturing. Because if I, if I notice it and then kill it, it's not going to want to come up again next time. <laughs> you know, it's mm -hmm. like I'm so harsh to it. So, you know, like for me, if I said, I notice that there's different aspects to the pattern. It's not just a thought pattern. My back gets tight. And I notice I feel more, I feel more of myself in my back and in the back of my neck and up to the back of my head and through my face. And I don't feel my belly and I don't feel my chest. So that's like, those are, I know that that's what happens to me in my body. And then I also notice that I'm thinking a lot and usually I'll be speaking faster. Yeah. My voice will be a little higher. So those are other like indicators. And then also there's a bit of a buzz. Like I don't quite feel my emotions in that moment. And usually there's like a bit of a busy excitement about something or kind of being right on the heels of getting something. But it's different from inspiration. It's there's a bit of um, desperation, mm. you know, in it. And so I think to kind of notice all those things and then have people in your life who are supportive and loving enough to be like, Hey, you're doing it again in the love, most loving kind way possible. And, um, so that at least in life I can be more, um, functioning as if that part of me is really secure, even though in fact, I'm going to be, I'm holding an insecurity inside myself, you know, like 70, 80% of the time. And that isn't the only part of me too. I have like very mature adult parts of myself that I can access. I have deep, innocent, pure children part of myself that I can access. And those are good. It's like, it's, I think it's helpful to kind of do that. Otherwise you're just doing your shadow work all the time and spending your yeah. time with like wounded parts of you. Yeah. So I think it's good to know so you can always access authenticity when you need it. But I think for me, the practice of really being with that Superman mechanism or the fixer or the fantasizer um, because they're the ones that usually slip under the radar all the time. They're usually, they're, they're very quickly to go into the background and be controlling mm. things, you know, from mm. behind the curtain. Mm. Um, 
And so it's like kind of just like a, a vigilance and like a loving vigilance. It's like, oh, <clears throat> there's something there that's so painful that doesn't believe it can be met. And the more and more it can be met, the safer and safer and safer it'll feel. And then the gifts that it brings can also come too because, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's special things that want to be given to us in our lives. It's not like, oh, you heal that and then you're done with it. Actually, a lot of your creativity can flow through that channel. A lot of your joy, a lot of your eros, a lot of your intention can flow through that same place where terror once flowed. And so that's like a necessary channel in your life for energy to flow through. It isn't like a, you know, it actually needs your attention because terror isn't the only thing that's going to move through that place. There's a lot of healthy developmentally advanced things. They want to come through that part of you as well. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I love the word that you used. You said gifts. There's been a lot of gifts that show up for you when you really take time to be with those parts and I'm curious, how has your life, David, become more beautiful as a result of like really taking time to be with those unhealed childhood parts, dealing with the trauma in your body, regulating your nervous system? You know, what, how has your life unfolded because of it? Yeah, I mean, I think some of the first things are just things got quiet, like there's just peace and quiet. I think that's one of the things is that life slows down a little bit. And, um, you know, it isn't like the traditional like life coach thing. Like I got my mansion, I got my car, I got all my wildest dreams. My life is freaking amazing. It's like, I feel really, really happy to sit down and have my tea outside every morning. It's like yeah. one of the highlights of my day. The morning mm -hmm. family check-in is also one of the highlights of my day. Mm -hmm. And so I think the coming with the capacity to feel deep terror or deep pain or deep fear has also made like me makes you more sensitive to like the sun is rising right now or oh my gosh if i put my face in this rug it's so nice <laughs> or yeah um you know so like cooking dinner is one of the best times and so i think that's one of the first things that that, that start life becomes a bit simpler and a bit more enjoyable because there's a bit more flavor to the ordinary and so my life became a lot more ordinary um, but happier mm. and um, and where I'm at now is like life is developing but it's not like an explosive growth it's like oh I can see that my contribution to the world is, is, is on a path of development and growth and expanding but I don't need it to get huge I'm already happy with my ordinary life so it's more just feeling oh I'm slowly slowly growing up and I don't need to have this explosive growth because I'm already happy here mm. i'm already here mm. and that's the big like i'm already here so i'm there isn't really any need to get there it's like oh i just noticed oh things are getting a little growing more oh there's mm. more we're going on a trip or we're going to travel this is really fun really exciting um but that doesn't isn't necessarily better than face on the rug yeah mm. so i think that's you know <laughs> when you develop a capacity to be with difficult parts of your life you also develop more capacity just to be with life and that that yeah you know it's like your relationship with life becomes a bit more sweet mm. um and the you know there is still a lot of pain in life um and it, 
it can be heartbreaking, but it doesn't break you anymore. And also so much energy, it comes back to you because you're not spending that energy trying to avoid pain. Mm. So it's interesting because I'm realizing emotional pain isn't really pain. It's the resistance to feeling uncomfortable emotions. Like sadness is an uncomfortable emotion. Fear is an uncomfortable emotion. Anger is an uncomfortable emotion. But they don't feel painful unless we're resisting them. And yes. Just, um, and at younger times, it was important to resist them because they were overwhelming. But as an adult body, an adult nervous system, and with other people, it won't break us. It yeah. won't flow through us. And we will actually deepen our wisdom and our understanding of what's right and what's wrong, our ethical understanding in the world. And yeah, it, it deepens us. Mm. Um, mm. Mm. And how is how has deepening yourself like sitting with grief sitting with uncomfortable emotions how has that impacted your relationships like um in terms of how i'm just i'm present to like what would be possible in your relationships that wasn't possible before <laughs> maybe i can like shut up a little bit in my relationships i mean mm -hmm. i think i could be a bit more quiet and mm. i think uh show up as more of a person and less of a character mm. um also i can really receive from the people in my life yeah like being able to help somebody or give to somebody is such yes. a beautiful opportunity but when they're perfect and don't need anything like you don't get the opportunity to have that to give that gift <sighs> so like can't receive from anybody don't need anything totally fine i think now it's more like i really need things for yes. people. i actually am when i'm sad i need to talk to somebody and i can go tell someone that i'm really sad and i had a sad day yes and even if i just came off of some kind of a presentation where i felt super confident that and i had a sad day that they don't mutually contradict each other yeah um so i think just the capacity to receive things from people and from life and from relationships and then I think to be able to give something without being codependent, you know, like, uh, Hey, do you want to go for a walk and actually feel throughout my body that there's no agenda, <clears throat> not even to make the person feel good. It's like, you know, when kids are like, Hey, let's go play. Yeah. Um, so I think the giving and receiving becomes more pure, mm. you know, more possible mm. in relationships. Mm. Um, also, you find more relationships that actually align to you. You're able to really recognize, oh, this one isn't very healthy. I don't actually, and they fall away or you kind of outgrow them. And then, yeah. And I think also it really makes me closer to my family. Because, um, you know, it's my siblings couldn't give to me, but actually I was like, I really need help sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I can give to me and mm -hmm. be around me. Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah and so it's i think that's you know probably the biggest transformation is with my family of origin that i feel like my siblings are my friends um which is important for me and i can have a healthier relationship with my parents that i it's totally fine to say no when i'm asking for something even if it's not fine for them you know but i can it's totally fine for me to say yeah. no yeah um and uh yeah, so I think those are some of the things like in my 
relationships, you know, and life, just from being able to be with mm. grief and also to be connected with other people when they're feeling yes. grief, particularly as a parent, I think to really, uh, that the, my job in life is really to be with my children in their experience versus fix their experience. Yes. Like if they're really sad or really afraid. I'm like, that's a stupid thing. I can just, we could fix that really quick, but to actually sit with them do their process and then they walk away with the capacity to do that for themselves in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think there's this like kind of myth of like, especially like we're so hyper individualized. It's kind of like, you know, you just need to love yourself and you just need to like feel your own feelings. But the truth is, is that actually we, there are certain parts of our trauma that unless we are contacted by another person to touch that place, we don't know how to access that. I think we're kind of hyper individualized. It's like, you don't need any relationship. You don't need other people. You can just grow on yourself. It's a, it's a single spiritual path. But for me, and that was really a part of that too. Like, well, yeah, well, I know that you could do this with somebody else, but how do you do it alone and fast? Yeah. Um, but realizing that's actually me, just I'm afraid of being related mm. and relating mm. when it comes to my own growth and my own healing. Mm. Because it's much, we grow much faster together. Mm. Um, so that's been another thing is just like the ability to heal and grow with other people mm. versus like we connect together, but you know, when you got your healing work to do, that is your job. And when I got my healing work to do, that is my job. Or it's like, no, our healing journey is our work together. Mm. And we are not as disconnected and separate as we think we are. Um, and I think our society is so like obsessively reactive to this idea of codependency that we have no interdependence you know and we're kind of like almost like a pendulum has swung too far in yeah. the direction yeah so yeah so i guess like the possibility of interdependence in my relationships where i'm mm. i am a full me and a full person um but that that includes you you know it includes your experience that it matters to me mm. yeah mm. i love it yeah, I have one or two questions for you left. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, loving this conversation. Um, I'm wondering, David, if you could speak to like the collective and our relationship with trauma as a collective. I know that's something that you um, teach about and work with people about. I just, you know, I'm sure all of us have experienced, you know, being on TikTok and Instagram. There's a lot of... Um, you know, like I would call it therapy speak, you know, like Instagram post about how to how to navigate therapy, you know, based on this Instagram therapist. And sometimes we um, we start using language that even though we, we think it might be empowering and, and useful and. Uh, I don't even know how to express this eloquently, like, you know, we, we think we're like doing it, but we're really not. You know, like I'm triggered by you and I'm it's your fault that I'm triggered. And, you know, like I have trauma and like there's almost sometimes this pitfall. Sometimes I see in our culture around the word trauma and the language of it. Um, sometimes you can get stuck in it, you know, as just identifying over and over again as I'm traumatized. You don't know. You don't know what my trauma is like. You don't know. And I'm like, can you share with me? No, I can't tell you it's going to trigger your trauma. Like there's this like inability to like really express 
and we blame people, you know, you know, especially from our and our background coming from, you know, a, a unique religious community. Um, there's so much we could talk about there, but you know, we there's a lot of pain that people have gone through growing up in that community for various reasons, and instead of having the support or the tools to really be with that pain, we blame our church or we blame our parents or we blame our families for the the kind of pain that we're experiencing and we don't know how to get free of it and so our lives become one of blaming everyone for everything because of what happened to me as a child and that becomes the way we move through the world reacting to anything because we're just constantly in the state of blame and others are responsible for how hard my life is so I'm throwing a world at you, David, but I, th I think you got it. Yeah. Can you speak to like, how do we navigate this as a culture and what does it look like to like really unpack our trauma in a healthy way when we've gone through some tough stuff? Yeah, I think that it's very important to have transparency when we're with other people so that when I say you're triggering me or whatever's happening, whatever I want to say is happening outside. When in those moments inside, how do I feel? So I might say, you know, I'm sorry, I can't just be here right now. It's just too much. And I would say, well, when you say all that, how do you feel right now? And then you just say, I, actually, I feel scared. And that's much more transparent versus all of the situation or therapy speak that you're using. Like, like right now, when I'm talking with you, I can say a lot of stuff. And as I'm, you know, sharing and teaching about uh, this work, but on the ground in life, the main sentence that I use is I'm scared. Yes. And I'm scared doesn't mean the other person needs to go and do something. It's actually, I'm saying it to be related so that you can feel that I'm scared and I can feel that I'm scared. And that that is already enough. Yeah. And can I be with that fear or can I not be with that fear? And then sometimes I can't, like sometimes my fear is overwhelming. I actually, I'm so over, I realize I'm very scared and I'm having difficulty being here. And I'm being with the fact that I'm having difficulty being here. So the whole point is that I stay present. Even when I notice I'm actually losing presence, like, oh, I'm, and I'm actually, it's hard for me. And then if I really need to step away. I'm going to step away from a bit and take care of myself and come back. But the whole point is that it's grounded and I am fully responsible for what I'm experiencing and being with what's happening right now, because it's already happening right now anyway. And when I say like, oh, that's my trigger, that's my, it's not, not all the time, but oftentimes it's used as a way to not be present. Yes. And to not feel, you know, and sometimes blaming somebody else or demanding that somebody else take responsibility for how I'm feeling, again, helps me to not feel. And it's important that we don't judge that tendency inside of ourselves either. We just notice, oh, this is what I do. This is, this was probably very useful for me sometime in my life maybe as an adult it's not very useful right now because people think i'm a jackass when i do that or it actually maybe hurts my relationships when i do that um and so i think we're learning to grow from being responsible for our experience and being responsible for like i'm responsible for me and as the more i can be present with my own experience i actually have more space inside of me to now include my relationships so now yes. i'm responsible for my relationships i can actually fit it in my experience i think that's what real maturity is is that i how much how much of the outside world my experience of the outside world can i fit inside of me 
And I think a lot of the therapy speak is the opposite. Actually, how much can I push out of my experience, like my yeah. fear and how can I push it out of me and get it out and be away from it. Right. And so, yeah, I think that's the real key, like whatever kind of speak or whatever kind of lingo or spiritual talk or psychobabble or coach speak or, um, I don't know, always asking when I say those words, what emotion do I feel right now? And then to speak that, because that's most honest. Yes. Like when I say all that, my stomach is tight and I feel scared. Yes. And that usually stops most conversations, you know. Yes. Um, or to say like, I, I, I don't know what I feel. And I, that's a feeling because I, how do you know that you don't know what you feel? You feel that you don't know what you feel. That still counts. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think that, yeah, that can really be helpful. And also that we, we really need each other to be able to feel ourselves oftentimes. So a lot of times blaming is usually a call for help. Like I'm very angry and I actually need help to feel my anger. Like, can you help? Can you be with me? I'm having a hard time being with myself and my anger. I'm very scared. I'm having a hard time being with my fear. Can you help me? Can you be with me while I be with my fear? And actually adds mm -hmm. like extra processing power, more RAM for your computer now to deal with the large information coming through and then that's healthy because you know it's not about responsibility for another person's emotions has nothing to do with taking something on or a demand yeah it's that i have space inside myself and i have and i'm capable of responding to it just like when my son is very upset and he comes like oh, i'm super upset and i'm not responsible for his anger but in a way i am able to respond to him and be with his anger, just like I would be with my own. And so it has very little to do with, am I responsible for it? Am I carrying it? Is it my job to do that? It's like, can I be with it? Yeah. And if I be with it, he actually feels like, wow, he's, he's with me right now. And now I can be with me. And in the future, I can be with me too, again. And that's just being related, that I feel you. And I feel that you are feeling me right now. And that is very healing. That already starts. That's the, like the fundamental principle of the healing process. Mm. So, yeah. And that's mostly fragmented, you know, in our collective. There's mostly not feeling. I can't feel you and I can't tell whether or not you feel me. And that's yes. become our collective. And so we're kind of born into that, swimming in that. And that's great. You grow up with this like illusion that we're all separated because that is our felt experience that you're over there and I'm over here. But that's not how we we're born. We we're born actually that I'm everything. I can't, I actually can't differentiate between all the things that are around me where I'm born interconnected and I end up growing up into a space where I become more and more separated. So mm. that doesn't mean that we don't have like, we don't individuate ourselves and have a unique expression in the world, but we never really are separate. Mm. I think that's, that's probably one of the biggest collective traumas ever is this idea that we're separate from each other. Mm. not an idea this deeply felt reality that we're separate from each other mm. Mm. Um, and then when people try to get into collective trauma work or ancestral work oftentimes people will project their personal bio biographical trauma onto the collective mm. so like you know i'm feeling the pain of all men right now like are you sure it's just not when you were seven with your mom 
And so sometimes people like, because it's kind of a hot topic, you know, and there's these kind of circles, the tense, like, yeah, this is probably my collective issue right here that I'm feeling with everything. And my experience in my own personal life is that I have way more personal stuff than I want to admit. And that it's, that is filtering everything that I feel about collect on the collective level or ancestral level. And I'm very, very cautious to just jump in and say, oh, this is a collective issue that I'm feeling right now. It's more like I'm perceiving a collective issue through my own biography, biographical trauma. Mm. And it actually points me back to myself and what is it inside of myself that I can heal. And if that re re integrates and heals more, then I look back and I can see, do I still see a collective issue or actually it is gone now and it was just me. Mm. And sometimes it does kind of integrate and then I do feel, oh yeah, actually now I am present to something in the collective. But that, they feel very different and most time we don't know that distinction enough or have enough practice to feel that distinction. Mm. Mm. Um, and until we've done a certain level of work on our own individual trauma that we carry, we're not going to be able to go any deeper than that. You can't just skip it. Yeah. It actually damages and hurts both sides when you do that. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, David. Mm -hmm. Yeah. May I ask you one final question? Yeah. This is picking back, piggybacking off of what you shared. Something, um, yeah, just really beautiful. And what you just shared was I heard, um, like, how do we begin? Like, how do we start for someone who's just listening to this conversation and really like starting to maybe understand the world of trauma for the first time or be curious about it? It's like, where do we begin? And what I heard you say was it begins with just telling the truth about how we feel right here and right now being present with ourselves, naming our body sensations, naming our emotions. I feel scared. I feel sad. Um, in my work, we call this a body reveal. And you can actually do this with your romantic partners, with your parents. Like, can, can you do a, a body reveal right now with me? How are you, you know, what's, what are you noticing about your body? And why it's so powerful is that when we, we acknowledge and tell the truth about how we're feeling, it's actually inarguable truth. It's, it's, our, it's our experience. You can't argue with someone's experience of how they're feeling. And so it creates this sense of grounding and safety and security when you just share, I feel scared. Because there's, no, there's no, you're making me feel scared. Or you know, you're not blaming anyone. You're just acknowledging the truth about how you are. So it's such a powerful, and you've taught me so much how to do this over the years, David. I've really learned it from you, but really just starting with this is how i feel and i'm wondering if if there's any other tools that you would like for for people who are listening now where can they really start practicing or beginning yeah i think that's a great place to start because there's always something live right here and right now so if you just connect into what's happening live in my body right now then you're already starting um i think a good place to start is actually to find a therapist or a coach or a healing community. Um, yeah, that's a, like a somatic therapist. If people wanted different models, I think the one that I recommend is probably NARM, N-A-R-M, Neuroaffective Relational Model, or um, Hakomi is another one, or Somatic Experiencing. So to find a therapist with that kind of a background or to go to group therapy so that you can, but healing happens much faster in relationship. Like I can meditate my way through something 
and you know give myself five or seven hours or i can have 20 minutes of an authentic conversation about something and feel that together mm. and so i think it's to the scary part like to find a relationship that will help you feel more of you and the parts that are scary and that's that's uh, that's what i'd recommend as a first step and i will also anchor it for you and your journey right and who's listening mm. um yeah to find a therapist or some kind of person who does that who holds space yeah thank you david anything else for you to share or contribute to to us on this episode anything else oh gosh um oh i think it's just good to keep laughing and to keep playing because you know <clears throat> still like dragon ball z and still like enjoy experiences like it's good to like kind of we yeah. call it titrating your experience. So like, it's good to like, <laughs> this is all very fun, but also like, it's, it's good to play and mm. have fun and to laugh, you know, mm. in life. So I think that's very important to, to do and to be with. And also that, uh, you know, that there is a place inside of you that can hold pain and that there are, and that as a group and as a collective, we are moving through this together. You know, whatever is happening in our individual lives, we are not just individual lives. We are not, we're not walking on the planet. We are the planet. And we're changing. We're going through something and that there's a process underway and that there's something bigger happening. And you're not alone in this process. Even though that it can feel that way, actually, that the being alone is the process. Like it's the feeling of being alone is a part of it. That's what's that's what's melting. So sometimes it's scary to feel alone, but to know, oh, that's just a feeling I have. It isn't the truth. That's yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I think that's what I would say. Mm -hmm. Thank you, David. How can people be connected to you? How can they find your work? Is there anything that you're up to right now that people can be a part of? Yeah, if they want to, you can check out my website. It's beingwholehearted.com. Or um, we're doing a seminar called Attuned. And it's about uh, becoming trauma-informed and responsive inside professional settings. So I'm curious how to bring this into the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, or you can follow me uh, on Instagram. Or I'm also on Insight Timer as well if you want to listen to some of my guided meditations too. So, yeah. Awesome. David, can I acknowledge you? Wow, sure. <laughs> I'm excited to really practice this with all my guests, like really just appreciating them for, for what they contribute, you know, here on this episode and to this whole community that we're a part of. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I don't have the words, David, but um 
Thanks for saying yes to being here. Yeah, and just for, for all the work that you've been doing. Yeah, thank you for your, your, your courage and your heart. And um, yeah, I just, when I'm with you, I feel, I know you're doing it for yourself because it's what you have to do. It's what there is to do, but it really feels like the world gets to receive mm. the, the labor and the effort and the investment that's being made. And um, I'm just so grateful to, um, yeah, to be connected with you, to be your friend, to be playing with you in life, and to be so like forever impacted by, by you. And uh, just your becoming, like every, I've just learned so much just by watching you and observing you and running around the world with you. And um, I just feel really grateful that like, I, like I've just received so much in being with you, learning to be ourselves together. So thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for contributing your heart here. And um, thank you for, for who you are. Wow. Thank you, Sam. I'm so grateful to know you. All right. Thank you. We'll see you next time.